When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland, where we're going to talk about a Timbers win this week. If you say so. <laughs> I mean, I kind of wanted to skip straight to the thorn section, but if we want to talk about Timbers, I guess people deserve their payoff. Yeah, I mean, we have a Timbers win. We, we don't even have a Thorns win to talk about this week. We'll get there, but we have a Thorns draw, which we'll see how, we'll see how we want to view that. There's a few different ways to view that one. Is this, this is definitely <laughs> the first time this weekend that the Timbers were the only of the three teams yeah. that won. I mean, yeah, of course it was. Of course, yeah, of course. Their only win. <laughs> yeah, but usually it's the t- so far this year it's been usually, you know, yeah. T two wins or T two and uh, the Thorns win. But yeah, the Timbers not only won, but they actually had a pretty convincing performance. I don't think there's much for anybody anything to complain about, but there is a lot to break down. Yeah. Probably start with the predictions, Jamie. Your prediction? <laughs> How'd it go? One zero loss. My predictions this week are uh, yeah. not like not I'm, good. <laughs> I'm just I'm just happy you didn't predict a two one loss. So I think this is progress. It's progress. Uh, I, I think we'll we'll be even more embarrassed by my thorns prediction when we get there. But well, <laughs> one zero loss. Let's let's wait about thirty minutes for that. Not gonna. I felt good about this prediction until I remembered I was way too specific with this because I, I I felt I had a good sense for this game and knew that there was a higher possibility than most games that a set piece would open up the scoring. I would just went a step too far. I said the winning goal was going to come off yeah. a set piece because I kind of thought it was going to be pretty low scoring like you, which increased the odds of if there was a set piece that opened the scoring, it might be the winning goal. My prediction was the winning goal would be off a set piece. So if it wasn't for a Timbers defensive error, I would have been correct, as is it was just the opening goal. Either way, a lot to talk about. Um, let's just start very very big picture it's obviously a big win after six weeks not without a win getting one anything is going to feel like a big win how big of a win is it how important were these three points in columbus on saturday yeah i mean i think it's huge i think the more weeks the timbers went without getting a win the more that that's sort of the um, the more antsy the team might become the more anxious the more that that kind of monkey on their back just just keeps solidifying itself there and, and it's in the back of their minds I mean I know these players are professional but there's no way to not be thinking about a losing streak when you're hitting four five potentially six games uh, so I think 
it's huge. They, they need to find that point to sort of breathe a sigh of relief, focus on their performance, uh, think about, you know, what they've been doing is working, um, be, be able to buy into what they're doing in training every day. I, I mean, I, I think it's easy um, for a locker room to, to sort of go south for, for the players to not be in a good environment when, when you're on a losing streak like that. If you can't get out of it, it's easy to just sort of spiral out of control. Uh, so I think it, it's huge. I, I think it's hard to tell whether the Timbers have turned a corner completely yet, um, but this certainly is going to help it, and it gives them confidence uh, heading into next week. I think a thing that strikes me as something that's kind of subtly important because I'm that kind of intellectual hipster that doesn't like to look at the obvious things. I like to contrive something of my own imagination is that this kind of showed that when the Timbers effort and execution is there, they can still get results because I think there were other times this year where they felt like there was at least a level of execution that deserved a result and they didn't get the one that they wanted. Colorado was an example. They got a result. They they wanted more. Galaxy, again, another example where they felt they played a decent game, but two penalty kicks undid them. Even LAFC, which on paper, 4-1 to one, LAFC, looks like they routed them. The reaction after that game was, hey, we played pretty well just in the second half. It kind of got away from us for a couple of minutes. So those performances kind of stacked on top of each other. I think there might have been a perception that Maybe this team, when it does play well, wasn't capable of getting wins, or at least the doubts maybe was starting to seep in. Obviously, that's not the case. The team played very well on Saturday. Perfect? No. Uh, there were definitely were imperfections, but I thought at both ends of the field, the Timbers gave a, gave a performance that you would want to give on the road against a decent team. I think I have some questions about how decent Columbus is coming out of this one because you know, last week I was a little bit shy about proclaiming them as good as their record indicated. They were second in the East going into last week, and they'd only scored seven goals. They'd allowed five. Granted, four of them were clean sheets, but I think we saw that Columbus has a little ways to go. But Columbus was not the worst team the Timbers have faced (laughs) so far, but it was the best result. Uh, You know, we have to ask this question because, uh, you know, people who listened to us last year know we kind of asked this question almost after any victory. Have the Timbers turned a corner? You know, last year was more, have the Timbers gone from being a scrappy team that was getting results to one that could actually dictate games? Well, are they back to being a scrappy team that can get results now? I don't know. I, I, I can't say for sure. And I, I think Toronto, and we'll get into that a little bit later, is going to be really tough for them. I, I mean, I think uh, Josie Altador not being there is a benefit for the Timbers, but Toronto's a good team. Toronto's a better team uh, than Columbus is. And so very, I think it's very possible the Timbers go into this weekend and get a loss. But the idea of you know not stringing together losses is when it gets worrisome. I mean, teams are going to lose on the road. They're going to draw on the road. They're going to win on the road. The Timbers show that they can put in a good performance on the road and they can get a win. And that's a positive. Have they turned a corner? I think we have to see. But certainly the performance over the last two weeks, um, not just this last game, but in Dallas too, I I think, uh, especially in that second half and the fight they showed there, is a sign that they're moving in the right direction. I I mean, undeniably, right? Three points is a better direction (laughs) than a one or zero. I think for me, I'm in the same camp as you. It's going to have to be about the consistency. Because although the Timbers certainly played well on Saturday, and I would say it's their best performance of the season, is it so much better than some of the other performances we've seen this year? Probably a little. I mean, I think I think 
more favorably of the Galaxy performance than other people do. But is it really like the performance that says to us, oh, this is a completely different team? Not really. I think they've just figured some small things out. And those small things are kind of working all over the field. The midfield combinations are better. The way that they're approaching defense on the flanks is better. And that's making Bill Tuiloma and Larry Smabiala look better. And maybe up top, they've got some more variety. Jeremy Abobasi scored this weekend. Uh, people might see that as a turning of a corner for him. We can talk about that more later. I don't see this as a drastic change for the Timbers. The drastic change to me will be, can they put two or three of these performances together? I know that people will say, well, um, the back of the Dallas performance isn't that too. I think I was more down on the Dallas performance than other people were. It's because they, they conceded a lot of good chances in that first half and the score could have been worse. I don't feel that way about this game. I think that the Timbers, the Timbers certainly earned the scoreline I think they got. Uh, but we're kind of talking generally here above the fray. From your point of view specifically, what stood out as positives uh, when it comes to kind of the the mechanics of the Timbers play? <laughs> I think it, they, they really changed the narratives on, narrative in a lot of ways. Uh, for starters, they didn't concede first. That, <laughs> I mean, for the first time this season, that's a big deal. I, I mean, when you are conceding first every single game, and from a confidence perspective, uh, from a mentality perspective, that's tif- difficult. Yeah. You're starting basically with a 1-0 scoreline every single match within the first 16 minutes uh, in five out of the six matches they had played. Uh, So they not only uh, score first, they get two goals um, in the first half. They also do a good job to recover after conceding a bad goal. Um, Jeff Adanella, we can talk about that a little bit, you know, didn't have his best game. uh, And that's interesting because he's actually, I think, been one of the players that has been performing well during this stretch. Maybe that's the key. Jeff Um, Adanella has been performing too well and it's bad luck. Jeff Adnella needs to perform worse so everyone right. else can perform better. Uh, hey, correlation causation. I, I learned about this in school. But the, <laughs> the difference is that, uh, you know, the Timbers respond to that. They get the third goal. They put yeah. the game to bed. I, I mean, it's it's a very different narrative than what we've seen where they've been conceding first, where they've been allowing uh, bad goals in quick succession, as we've been talking about. Um the, the attack came alive in a way that we haven't seen. Uh, this is only the second time this season they've scored multiple goals in a game. And, and Jeremy Abobasi had a chance to score uh, at least two other goals that, um, depending on how you want to look at that performance, uh, you, you maybe want him to have scored those. Of course, yeah, he gets definitely. his one goal. Uh, so I just think there's so many ways that this was different. And I think that's what the Timbers, a lot of what the Timbers did well in this game is sort of the pressure, pressure they were able to put on, on Columbus. Um, in the first half, that's different. The the ability to put pressure on Columbus after conceding, it, it just was something we haven't, for whatever reason, seen from the Timbers this year yet. I completely agree with you. And I think bringing up those Abobasi chances is good because when I got the quote sheet from Columbus after this game, the first thing that Caleb Porter was going in on was, you know, kind of implying that there was a lack of chances for the Timbers and they were just really clinical with the chances they got. Okay, well, I saw Jeremy Abobasi really, he should have had at least two goals I think he should have had three. Saw Christian Paredes put a shot over the bar that was from like 12 yards out where he was unmarked. I thought the Timbers got three goals, not only because they were clinical in those moments, but they created a lot of chances. And that's usually what you have to do to score three goals. Uh, I'm sure that the team feels that they should be creating even more chances. But Jamie, how many times this year have the Timbers created six chances <laughs> that we thought were really good? And perhaps more importantly, how many MLS games do we watch where we see teams cons- like create six, chance- six chances and go, oh, that team, they must not be good attacking? I mean, I thought it was a decent, a strong attacking performance with yeah. Timbers, particularly for a team that was ahead for almost an hour so they didn't have a need to chase the game 
at the same time, I thought their set piece defending could have been a little better, bit better. I thought Columbus was really close on a number of set piece chances, but Columbus has been good at set pieces all year, so it's almost a victory not to concede a set piece goal. When the only goal you concede coming out of a game like that is one that you clearly gave the other team, and in fairness, Adnella almost gave away another yeah. goal earlier <laughs> in the game. You have to feel very good, not only about the result, but the pro- the progress the defense is making. It was the first time this year they conceded fewer than two goals. I think you can say that the goal that they did give up wasn't on account of the defense's organization, the tactics, the execution of the players. Jeff Attenella made a mistake. Uh, so how many times is that going to happen? Well, he made one or two like this last year. He's made one this year, so maybe once well, every... He made two in the same game. Got yes. punished on one. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So, I mean, maybe we're talking once every 12 or 14 games this happens, which is probably too much, but at the same time, it's not something that you're really going to define your defense by. Um, I think it was an overall good performance, and I think one of the key factors in it, or one of the things we have to talk about, is the formation. Third different formation of the year. First time we've seen from the start of 4-4-2. How similar it was to the 4-4-2 we saw at the end of the Dallas game, I don't really know. The Timbers were chasing the game at that point. But this 4-4-2, I thought, was an interesting choice. You asked Giovanni Savarese about... Diego Valeri's role in this on Giovanni Savarese's uh, conference call today. To me, I I think we've talked about this on this podcast. I don't, I think the team was almost playing a 4 4 2 before because Diego Valeri was kind of just a a deep line forward before. Did you see a marked difference between this 4 4 2 and the 4 2 3 1 that we were were used to at the end of last year? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that I think that it's interesting that I, I when I did ask Savarese about that, he he sort of implied that he didn't see Diego Valeri's role as very different in this four four two. I think putting Valeri out there as a as a forward and saying that's his responsibility is probably to some degree what you need out of Diego Valeri at this point. If you're going to try to get the most out of him, it seems like putting him in a position where he's mm-hmm. a, playing a more of a forward position and the defensive responsibilities aren't uh, as big as I they like would this. be in the midfield it is probably, if you're trying to find the best way, the recipe for success. Um, but Let's get real, Jamie. All right. <laughs> coming down with some conclusions here about Diego Valeri. I mean, but Sarvesi seemed to think, and I, you know, it, it's, it's hard to, um, from our view of the game versus his view of the game, I, I mean, he he implied that he didn't think that Diego's role was that different. So so maybe yeah. I'm reading that too much into to that idea. I did think it was clearly effective in this game, and, and Savarese said going into this game that four four two, um, w- w- he knew that was the formation he wanted to play because he knew what Columbus was going to do, yeah. and, and so he clearly had the game plan down, or at least the strategy down based on the opponent. I thought it was a good question, though, because you at least want to give the coaches a chance to respond and explain if there's a difference. I mean, you don't know ahead of time if the coach sees it differently or not. You got him to answer that. But in answering that, I think we learned less about this 4-4-2 than how mentally they were approaching the previous formations. And there is a subtle difference between a 4-4-2 and a 4-2-3-1, but 4-2-3-1 is so flexible that oftentimes it plays it as a 4-4-2, especially in the defensive phase. So I think a lot of times it's not going to be that different. But I thought it was a good question because why is the team electing to call this a 4-4-2 as opposed to a 4-2-3-1, which they were labeling last year's formations. I think there are some good answers to that. And I think it'll, 
I think I'll learn a lot as we continue to ask the coaches about that because there must be some kind of philosophical reason why they're no longer calling this a four-two-three-one. Um, Stu asks, "How do you think the formation works? Will it be our formation going forward?" I think that Savarese is going to continue to to tweak the formation going forward. The the implication I got from his press conference today or his his call today, uh, the Timbers are still on the road. Um, what was that they felt like this was the right formation for the opponent and they felt very sure in knowing what Columbus was going to do. And, and so they felt that this was the right approach for this game. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see the 5-3-2 again. I would be a little bit surprised to see an outright 4-2-3-1 again just because it has... Mm, uh, shivers. Yeah, <laughs> just because it hasn't worked. Uh, but 4 3 2 one 4-4-2, 5-3-2. I, I think that these are all formations the Timbers oh could God. potentially use. You're saying 5-3-2, and I'm getting sh- like scared because last week during the press conference, I kept saying 4-3-2. So I'm listening <laughs> back to you with this. I'm like, what an oh, idiot. Yeah, yeah. But, then, but then this week, Giovanni Savarese messed up and called it a 4-3-1. So sometimes we all just have a little bit too much on yeah. our minds, and the numbers start flurrying together. But I was upset at myself because I didn't say it once. I said it yeah. twice in the same question, and I was just like, this is ridiculous. Um, anyways, regarding the formation, uh, I think one of the things that I regret most about last year, kind of looking at it from the point of view of, well, just not even the point of view, but like if I'm trying to think like a coach and plan out a season, I never want to give up my formational versatility. I never want to give up the idea in the other coach's mind that I might come with something different. So the idea that the team eventually had to settle into one formation at the end of the year, it just seems like ideally you would have a team that can play multiple ways even if you have one way that you play 60 percent of the time you at least want to leave that doubt and you also just want to leave that flexibility just in case certain guys aren't playing well or certain people get injured even now when you say you know you'd be a little bit uh, surprised if they went back to a 4-2-3-1 immediately in my mind i go but if chara and paredes are playing like this then a 4-2-3-1 becomes viable again and then i'm like does it though? I don't know. I mean, we haven't really seen that. We've seen Paredes and Tuiloma in the pivot for a two, four two three one. Oh wait a minute, that was a loss to Cincinnati. <laughs> so even then, you go back and forth with all this stuff. I think just the the air of flexibility though is valuable. I mean, I want to know what you think about it from an opponent's from an opposing coach's point of view. Like you don't want if the other team is playing well, it kind of doesn't matter. You have to deal with their talents and everything like that. But doesn't it seem like logically it would add a sense of doubt if you don't know if they're going to line up with three center backs or two, five in the back, four in the back? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And you heard the way Savarese talked about Columbus, with the certainty. We know how they're going to play. We know how they're going to play. He was saying that earlier in the week, too. And he doesn't say that about every team. Now, Caleb Porter had a lot of success here in Portland basically playing a 4-2-3-1 every single game. You, you yeah. could basically write that lineup five weeks in advance. Yeah. Unless there was an injury, you knew what to expect. What was it, like a 10-month stretch that yeah. was kind of a 4-3-3? A, a very good 10-month <laughs> stretch, but I remember talk, talking to coaches after that. And Greg Vanny said this in a press conference once. Like They're playing a 4-3-3 with Darlington, Nagby, and Diego Valeri in the middle. What are they going to do? <laughs> like Just kind of like implying, how are they going to defend with this? And obviously, they had to move away from it in time. But... Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm sorry I cut you off there. I just remember yeah. that Greg Vanny press I mean, conference. The point is that the Timbers had plenty of success being a very predictable team in terms of formation. Obviously, there's yeah. different tactical things they do game to game that it doesn't come down just to formation. Um, but I, yeah, I think flexibility clearly can be an asset. It, it, it clearly isn't required for success, but it can be an asset. And I think it was helpful, helpful for the Timbers last 
last year. I mean, it helped them get out of sort of the rut they were in early in the season. Yeah. Uh, that flexibility. And I, I think, you know, when you look at the NYCFC game last year, that was like a tactical victory that felt very, very much, much so. like Savaresi won the tactical challenge. They're not. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously his team executed, but that that was showed what the benefit of tactical flexibility is. Yeah, so true. You know, I think back to that week and talking to Giovanni Savarese before and after that game, and it made me realize that even coaches get up for games the same way players do. Because Giovanni Savarese had faced Patrick Vera a couple times in U.S. Open Cup when he was with the Cosmos, and he had just so much respect for him that he wanted his team to be so prepared. And so I'm kind of wondering this last week, look, Giovanni Savarese, I don't think, has a close relationship with Caleb Porter. I don't know if he's, how much they've ever talked. I don't think he cares about Caleb Porter. But I think, I think I like to think of him as somebody that wouldn't have wanted the team that he works for to have to deal with the reality of losing to the former coach. And maybe it has nothing to do with Caleb Porter in particular, but just that dynamic of, you know, we went there and now we're still losing. No. I'm putting everything into this game, no matter what. Um, Tim's question about the 442. Uh, I say Tim like people know what we're talking about. The person named Tim who is associated with this question at our notes, J.B. Goldberg, asks, does this look like the best lineup moving forward? I want to get to that in a second, but one thing that I keep thinking about is how many players have kind of fallen out of their spots over the course of trying to find the best 11. So we're talking about Jorge Villafaña. Julio Cascante, David Guzman, Andy Polo. How many of these players have permanently lost their starting spots? How many of them had the permanent starting spots to begin with? I was thinking this weekend of how many players that they've kind of had to cycle through the Timbers in order to get to this point where it looks like at least they have players on the field that are complementing each other better now. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, Andy Polo's been injured. Um, to, to, so that's at least part of the reason he specifically has been out of the lineup. And, and I, I think putting him in the lineup gives them some tactical flexibility in, in terms of depending on what formation they want to switch. So I wouldn't necessarily roll him out uh, of their best lineup going forward. I, I think that's a sort of wait and see. Uh, but clearly, I, I mean, Viafania, Guzman, they've at this point been replaced by players that are playing better. Uh, I think Bill Tuiloma has come in and done a good job at center back. I think for right now, we're probably going to see these same players um, in, in those positions continuing to get starts. Whether that changes, it very well could change. I, mm-hmm. I mean, you've mentioned players that were starters, and they could start out performing these other players in practice, or, or a player like Paredes, who's still young, might have a few off games, and there might need to be a switch there. But I think overall, this is a lineup um, that the Timbers are going to at least close to this lineup moving forward. I, I am interested to see where Polo sort of fits in as, as he returns to full health. So going back to Tim's question, me personally, I don't have a best lineup for this team because that would also imply that I think there's a best formation. I don't think there is. And I also think that while there may be eight or nine Timbers that I would say this person definitely needs to, definitely needs to be starting right now, I can't get to 11. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I, I think there's question marks still on, on the field. I, I don't think it's completely set. I, I think in some of the positions you mentioned, um, clearly there's still a debate. I, I, I think after coming off this game, it would be strange to see Zaresi make big changes, but that doesn't mean it's going to be this way for five weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the players that there isn't much debate about his place in the starting 11 is Jeremy Abobasi, although there is debate about whether there should be more competition for that place in the starting 11. Six starts this year. He's made seven appearances. He has three goals. And I think I did the math earlier this week. 
if you fact if you prorate him out to two thousand minutes, which is about two thirds of the playing time this season, he's on pace for twelve and a half goals. So, Jamie, what do you think about Jeremy Obobese's production thus far? I think the numbers um, are, are really are good. I, I, I think you look at three goals in six games, and you had projected that out at the beginning of the season. You'd be pretty happy about the pace that he's on. Yeah. Uh, so, I think from that standpoint, it's good. I, I think there's clearly. Uh, areas of his game that he needs to continue to develop. Uh, I, like I said, I, I mean, he had three chances in that game. I, I think he should bury at least two of them for sure. Um, and he, he only scores one goal. Um, I mean, may, may have had more than three chances in that game. I'm thinking of three in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think there are some games where he's sort of been invisible. I mean, he hasn't contributed, contributed that much. Is that all his fault? Is that, is, is that sort of speak to the, where the whole team's at? Well, the Timbers haven't been playing well, so it probably speaks to not just Jeremy Bobasi. It probably speaks to the entire yeah. 11. Um, but they, I definitely think he has some work to do to be at the level the Timbers probably want their forward to be in the long run. Yeah. But three goals in six games, that, that's nothing to uh, to write off. I, I mean, that's, that's a good uh, strike rate so far. I'm just going to go back to my old philosophy regarding all of these young players is that they need time. They need time to make mistakes. They need time to grow. Maybe with Jeremy, it's not so much about making mistakes, even though I think you could say missed chances like we saw this weekend are mistakes. But sometimes it's just about maturing enough to have fewer of those periods where it seems like he's not involved in the game. Kid's 22. He hasn't had a full year yet as a professional. And I think everybody should kind of be willing to let him grow on the job. Because if you're not, then I'm not sure that uh, you have a good plan for developing young talent. The same thing's going to happen with Christian Paredes right now. He's going to have games that where he seems really influential or really active, and then other ones. And you've got to decide whether to let him play through it, or maybe he needs a week's rest. And you know, I said the same things about Julio Cascante at the beginning of the year too. So I'm going to kind of stick with that. But I, I would say that um, you know, you and I have talked about Jeremy Obobasi a lot. I think this is the conception people should have had for Jeremy Obobasi coming into this year. He's going to score his goals if you give him playing time. Is he going to be one of the best forwards in the league? Probably not. But in one or two years, he could be, as long as you are patient with him right now. Uh, speaking of patience, Michael about a different player asks how many more games like saturday before jeff atnella's starting spot gets called into question in fairness to michael i kind of added a little (laughs) to my reading there but there is one way to read that is is more like how many more games like saturdays before jeff atnella's starting spot is called into question jamie i I think that atnella has uh time because i think he has played really well this season overall i think some of i mean even though when you look at his stats they're going to be terrible because of the number of goals uh that he's conceded that for the most part has not been his fault it's been much more uh him making big saves and and coming up big but then there's just being too many chances jeff atnella had a bad game uh this (laughs) this weekend I, i mean it wasn't necessarily the saves or anything but his distribution was problematic. He threw two balls, uh, threw one and kicked another directly to an opposing player. Could have easily led to two goals. It led to one. Uh, he can't do that. Uh, but I think, even though I, I don't think his distribution's been perfect, I think that's an area of Jeff Adnell's game that still needs to improve. Mm-hmm. The expectation is not that he's going to be that bad in his distribution every single game, and I don't think we've seen that in, until now. So... Unless this becomes a problem where it gets to his head and then we suddenly see him throwing the ball to an opponent every game, I, I expect that Jeff Van Nell is the starter for the foreseeable future, and I, I don't expect that to change anytime soon. So to answer Michael's question, I would say two. He would need to have three straight games of doing this before I'd be like, Phew, 
all right, let's give Steve, let's get Steve in there or let's rethink this because, um, I just, I don't think that this is in Jeff Antonella's character. And like you're talking about, there are so many more positives. Uh, speaking of positives, Ari asks, how do you feel about Moreira's performances thus far? I say speaking of positives because he made the league's team of the week, but that's mostly because he scored a goal and (laughs) defenders usually when they score a goal end up in the team of the week. Beyond that, Jamie, how do you feel about Jorge Moreira's performances? Yeah, I think overall he, he's been a good addition. Uh, I think um, he's had somewhat of up and down performances, whereas the rest of the team has had two. Um, I'm trying to think back to this specific game I'm thinking about with him where it was a little bit less positive. Uh, they're running together now. but, uh, but <laughs> It's I, one I, of the losses, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, just it was it. one of the losses. <laughs> uh, but, I, I mean, I think overall it's been a positive. I, I think he does provide something different going forward. I, I think... Um, you know, he comes in for Powell, who also could have provided something going forward, but I, I think he looks like he's going to be a lot more consistent um, than what Alvis Powell offered. Uh, so I, I think so far, uh, so good, but it's still a very small sample size. Tactically, he's already having a huge effect on the team in his ability to get forward and provide that constant width, uh, kind of from defensive line to defensive line. Team has to compensate for that a little bit, but the kind of contrasts him with Alvis Powell. I just feel like his play on the ball, while still I think could be better, I think technically he's not as clean as I thought he was going to be, but he's still providing a more consistent presence in terms of his combination play than Alvis Powell ever did. So I think that's encouraging, and I think he, in a way, he's kind of as advertised his ability to get forward and work a lot were his big calling cards, and I think everybody is seeing that so far. Uh, let's go on to the next question from Aaron. How many games should we see before boarding the Paredes hype train? Well, Jamie, I hate to tell you guys this, but I bought the Paredes high train last year. I don't know if people listen to the other shows I'm on, but I basically likened his games to Frank Lampard. But while while saying that I don't expect him to produce like Frank Lampard, stylistically, either way, people have not let me forget it. So they gave me the Paredes hype train at that time. Uh, it, it's weird running the Paredes hype train and the Cascante hype train at the same time. I just I think one day they're going to collide out of my negligence. But Jamie, to you, I'll ask Aaron's question. How many games before people should get truly excited about what Christian Paredes is bringing yeah, to Yeah, I, I think uh, you should already be on the Paredes hype train. So you, you're ahead of the curve, Richard. Um, <laughs> I, he's 20. He's 20 years old, and, and the way he's playing, there's going to be ups and downs. We saw that last year, and obviously he was dealing with some personal things as well that contributed to him falling out of the lineup but he's gonna have ups and downs but to be performing at this level at that age board the hype train that's a really good sign (laughs) matt asked do we dare get optimistic that the timbers could get double digit points by the end of the road trip jamie i am not there that yet but it's clearly not impossible no it's not impossible i mean two two more wins if they do if they win two lose three they're at 10 yeah Uh, i mean (laughs) it's possible and they have i think a good chance as i've been saying the next um, on paper, at Columbus wasn't on paper one of those ones that I thought they were going to get a win at, so we really mm-hmm. don't know. Um, but I think Salt Lake and, and Vancouver are, are on paper pretty decent opportunities, particularly Vancouver. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not there yet either. I, I think it's very plausible that they go into Toronto and lose, and then we don't know what happens from there. But uh, it's not out of it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. Speaking of Toronto, Saturday, noon kickoff time. The Timbers are going to be at BMO Field to take on Toronto FC. Uh, Timbers have been on the road all week between games rather than shuttling from Columbus back to Portland. Traveling to Columbus is always difficult because you need connecting flights to get there. They stayed in Columbus, which is just a 
a stone throw for some very strong people from <laughs> Toronto. Um, you know, this is going to be a tough game, at least on paper. Toronto has one of the most talented and efficient attacks in the league right now. Uh, they have gotten off to a great start to the season. Let's just start with the basics. Do you think staying away from Portland for this week is actually going to help the Timbers? I think it's definitely helpful in terms of, I mean, you look at the number of miles that these players have right now, traveling, commercial, traveling, it would, you know, limited leg room, delays, all the things we talk about when we talk about travel in MLS. I, I think it's always helpful to limit that. Um, I also think because they won, it, it makes it probably even more helpful. I think you staying in Columbus after a six straight loss, um, just being reminded of the place that, that you just suffered a, a terrible loss. Might, <laughs> from, a men, from a mentality standpoint, might not have necessarily been the best thing, even though from a physical standpoint, I, I think it's the right move. Um, but being in that place after a win, together with your team, sort of basking in the joy of winning and, and the confidence of saying, yeah, let's now go Toronto and, and uh, try to build on that. I, I think... From a physical standpoint, good decision. And from a mental standpoint at this point, I think it's a good decision as well. Well, the big story in Toronto has been the arrival of Alejandro Pozuelo, who Spaniard imported from Belgium, has four goals and five assists in his first four games. But remarkably, it's actually not the headline coming out of Toronto this week, <laughs> because after Toronto's game this weekend, a 4-3 to victory over Minnesota, Josie Altador blasts his team president <laughs> to the media, saying that the team president is engaging in, quote, games of ego by, fire, by not renewing the team trainer's contract. Apparently, the team trainer was very close with Sebastian Giovinco, also very close with other players on the team based on Josie Altidore's <laughs> reaction. So, one, I just want to know how, what you think about this because it's pretty uh, interesting. I mean, it would be the equivalent of Diego Valeri going after Gavin Wilkinson. Yeah. And secondly, uh, what kind of impact would it have on the game if Josie Altidore, either through discipline or health, doesn't play on Saturday? Well, it sounds like, I think, from the reports today that the expectation was out two to three weeks, uh, injury-wise. Wow. So I think the expectation, at, as of this moment, is, is that he's not going to play. So probably going to see Jordan Hamilton, yeah. for people who don't know. He's an Academy product, had a good impact this weekend, but uh, he's not Josie yeah. Altidore. So I think... Yeah, I think that the Timbers have to be pretty happy about that, uh, not having to face Josie Altador. I, I mean, I, I think that definitely weakens Toronto a bit. They're <laughs> still very good, as you pointed out. They have the MLS Player of the Week on their team, who's been just um, dominant since showing up. But, yeah, they're losing their top scorer. Um, that is only going to make it easier for the Timbers. Timbers are going to be going into Toronto with some momentum. As I mentioned before, Toronto 4-3 victory this weekend over Minnesota. Toronto still is going to have Pozuelo. They have a really talented team. They've got a really strong midfield, too, with Jonathan Osorio, Marky Delgado, Michael Bradley. Really good team. How do the Timbers succeed this weekend in Ontario? I mean, the defense has to be as good, if <laughs> probably better, than it was in Columbus. Um, even without Altidore, this is going to be a good attacking team. Uh, and I think that if you see some of those mistakes that we've seen from the Timbers defensively and, and the turnovers in the midfield that have sort of led to those mistakes, um, that's going to be a problem for the Timbers. They have to put in a solid, organized performance, um, and they can't sort of revert to those mistakes that we've seen so much of. Yeah, I don't know that one team I've seen yet has been able to contain Alejandro Pozuelo. Yeah. Uh, the changes that Greg Vanny has recently made going back to a wingback system with three uh, central defenders, it 
creates width that forces teams to spread out the field with Pozuelo's distribution, Bradley's distribution. They're able to use that width. Pozuelo's movement off the ball has been great. His ability to find and be dangerous in spaces. To me, he's one of the two best players in the league right now with Carlos Vela. And in that way, maybe one of the two players in this league that you just have to watch right now. He's been great to watch. But it's a little bit scary, too, when you're the team that needs to figure out how to stop him. So my instinct says, based on Giovanni Savaresi's tendencies, that we're going to see a very tight, compact, disciplined block of players. I don't know what formation that they'll play to do that. Usually, you know, you've seen over the last two games where there's two different formations. The principles of the team remain the same. But if you were in Gio's shoes, what formation would you be using? I think the coming out of Columbus and, and the success there, I think there would be maybe maybe a four four two just to keep things sort of not make too many changes after a win. I mm-hmm. think the other uh, major option would be going back to the five three two to just keep things really organized and a little bit more defensive focused. Yeah, and the five three two can at least match up with that width a little yeah. bit better. Uh, get you multiple center backs in the middle. Well, multiple. Multiple, multiple, give you three from two. Both of those are multiple, but it gives you more people in those areas where you don't want Pozuelo being able to bounce and score his fifth goal in as many <laughs> games. Uh, we need to get to the Thorns here pretty quickly because there's a lot to talk about there, but let's wrap up a couple of more Timbers things. Uh, Brian Fernandez, the rumors are persisting. The social media posts are persisting. The Nakaxa fans posts are persisting. Uh, do we know anything more? I think the the indication at this point is that it is going to happen. There's no confirmation from uh, U.S. journalists. So I, I do take that. I, I don't want to 100% confirm that or anything because I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the, the reports we're seeing is that it's done. And the question is more around the timing. Um, whether that's 95% done. <laughs> um, so I want to be careful with that. Um, yeah. But there are multiple reports coming out from Spanish media. Um, either um, we think we saw ESPN, uh, an ESPN reporter, um, a Spanish reporter report that we've seen the reports out of uh, Mexico. So um, it it's looking quite possible. And then finally, a listener question from Stu. How is Alias Ivicic injury recovery going so i don't know and i was wondering if, uh, maybe you have an answer otherwise we've kind of dropped the ball and not really asked Gio about this recently it's a good reminder that it, we're coming about the time that we need to start asking him uh, unless unless you have an update i mean aliage like all injured players is out there at the training ground working every day um with injuries like even if I said something to you without it being from an official person's mouth, like I could be wrong because while I talk to these players, I ask them how they're doing. I don't go, and how was the latest scan? <laughs> oh, and did you did that appear on the thing? I, and I don't go up to the trainers and ask for timelines. So, um, you know, it's not like he's worlds away doing his own thing. And it's not like he's so far away from coming back that he's not even doing anything at the training ground. But for me to give a diagnosis on it... Uh, would be inappropriate. I would say that it's not inappropriate to ask some questions about it because it's, you know, no, yeah. he's, he's close. And like you said, we're within the window where the questions become more pertinent. Uh, speaking of pertinent, we had the thorns with a result this weekend, although a very dramatic result <laughs> and probably one where a lot of fans towards the end of that game thought was going to be three points instead of one late goal by the Chicago red stars minute into stoppage time from Yuki Nagasato evens the score at four, Portland still has only lost once to Chicago in 18 games in their history. But this weekend, 
It was a draw, 4-4. Four, four. four points in two games for the Thorns. Jamie, what did you predict? I know <laughs> that you didn't predict a 2-1. I didn't, and I think our predictions were equally terrible. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. terrible. This was embarrassing. Um, I predicted a 1-0 win for the Thorns. They did not win, and also that just did not describe the game in any any way. Yeah, and, and same for me. For as much as I felt like I had a really good grasp on the Timbers game, kind of really feeling that a set piece was going to matter early on, this one I had no grasp for whatsoever. I said there were going to be less than two goals. I expected a chippy, grinded-out affair. Yeah. No, this was end-to-end <laughs> action throughout. Uh, so there definitely weren't less than two goals. In fact, they scored about eight times as many goals <laughs> as my best-case scenario would have allowed. Um, let's start with the details of the game. Uh, Christine Sinclair, I think this is probably a big detail, but second hat trick she scores three yeah. goals one from the spot one off of megan klingenberg cross once off of a looping pass from Lindsay Horan. i think maybe as important you go back to the orlando game she was involved in both of those yeah. goals too she played the ball into the box uh, before tobin he back healed the ball for caitlin ford and then she played the ball into the channel for caitlin ford in the second half that ended up being played across for tobin heath Christine Sinclair is off to a great start to the season. We thought, we've spent so much time on this podcast talking about Diego Chara and Diego Valeri's turning 33 this year. <laughs> Christine Sinclair is 35. She's 35. I think she turns 36 this year. It is, I, I, I could be wrong on that, but it is uh, insane. Yes. Just <laughs> I think, uh, you know, Mark Parsons said this today. He said yeah, that uh, Christine Sinclair is actually in the best shape she's ever been in since he's been here and I completely agree in fact the last two years when she has come into preseason we've had discussions around training about how good Christine Sinclair looks I mean every year she seems to be taking care of herself better I think three years ago is when she kind of had some ankle problems that they had to be judicious about she's had a clean bill of health it's a given that whenever she's here she's going to play she's going to go 90 minutes and as you allude at her age that's amazing. And her production has been just as good. I mean, for our, we forget about this, but for a long time last year, she was at the fringe of the MVP yeah. conversation until Lindsey Horan and Sam Kerr started sprinting away from the pack. But I don't think there's... I don't think there's enough great things you can say about Christine Sinclair because for as good as Tobin Heath has been, uh, Christine Sinclair maybe has been a little bit better over the whole 180 minutes so far this season. Um, let's go to next question. Jamie. He doesn't say Jamie, but I'm rephrasing it. Jamie. Are you more impressed with the Thorns' offensive effort? They've scored six goals in two games. Or concerned with the defensive effort? They've allowed four goals in one, two games in one game. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to like my response, Richard, but I'm, I'm going to say more concerned with the defensive effort. And one of the big reasons is because they're not going to have this attack in two games. Um, so this attack, it, to some degree, is fleeting. We'll see at the end of the season it comes back. But we, I'm not sure what their attack is going to look like in a few games. I have a general sense of what players on the back line they're going to have in, in, in two games because they're going to lose Sonnet to the World Cup. But the, mm-hmm. the rest of the players, and, and Sonnet, of course, had an, a pretty big defensive error over the weekend. Um, but the rest of those players on the back line are going to be about the same. Emily Mengus hasn't been in there. Maybe her coming back is going to make a big difference. I, I think it did make a difference last year. Um, when that happens. But yeah, I mean, the Thorns are exhibiting similar problems defensively. Um, and it's only, we only see really one game. So th- this is not a large sample size, but it's a reminder of what we saw last year. And that's worrisome to me um, that, that you're sort of seeing this, um, these defensive issues that were a huge problem for the Thorns last year and, and what sort of lost them 
took took them out of the Shield race. They obviously recovered and made it to the final, but it really took them out of the chance of winning the Shield last year. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, at this point, I think I am more concerned about the defensive effort. I think the attack's been great. I I think that I would expect them to have the attack to be able to build on that against Sky Blue this weekend. But then Tom Heath will leave, and Lindsay Horan will leave, and Christine Sinclair will leave. And Wait, since questions. when is this happening? I've never heard about this before. <laughs> Yeah, I know. You've never heard I've about never, it. I've never heard about this whole thing about Thorne's players leaving. I've never heard that. What I, are your thoughts, though? I mean, I don't know. The defensive performances have been so different that I don't know what to yeah. think at all. I've watched this game three times at this point. I've written 3,000 words about it. And the defensive performances are just so different with basically the same personnel. I do not know which of these worlds to live in. Do I live in the world where the Orlando performance is what we're supposed to be going off of? Do I live in the world that the Chicago performance should be going off of? Go ahead and tell me that it's somewhere in the middle, but we're not seeing it within these games the team switch personalities and start to make mistakes. We're seeing that the Chicago performance was 2018 and the Orlando performance was 2017. And throughout the whole preseason, they said they want to be 2017. I think the good news is that... 2017 is there, in there, somewhere. They just got it to be, got to make it so it's the day to day. So I don't know. I don't know what to think, Nick. I, I need like two or three more games. It's too yeah. early in the season. I think that everybody sh- is right to be concerned, but um, yeah, sample size is small. And the offensive effort too. Look, this game, this team's not going to average three goals a game throughout the year. Part of it is for the reasons Jamie's bringing up, and she's the only person that brings this up. Everybody else talks about it too. Actually, I don't want to make it seem like people think I'm serious when I say that. The offense is going to take a hit here soon. They've got players that are still going to be around that'll play that'll be playing. Uh, Caitlin Ford, Anna Cernogorchevich are going to be here after Sky Blue. Caitlin Ford will eventually leave. Then you have people like Tyler Lucy, Mitch Purse that'll come in. Um, I think the offense is, you know, when you look at the attacks other teams have, it's going to be relatively fine talent wise. But even if this team stuck around the whole year, they're not going to average three goals a game. Yeah. So we don't know what the attack's going to be like either. Um, but the attack is good right now. So what is going right with the attack? What is it that's so much better about the attack so far this year than it was for much of last year? I just think that they have... It, it just seems like every player in the attack is, is just playing really well right now. The chemistry... The, the, a lot of these players have obviously played together for a while, so the chemistry is there um, between a lot of these players. And then you, you're looking at the way Lindsey Rand's performing. You look at the way Tobin Heat's performing. You looked at Caleb, Caitlin Ford's performance in the first game, something we didn't get to see from her last year. We talked about Christine Sinclair. They just have a ton of talented attackers that are working well together, have chemistry, and are playing their best soccer. Yeah, I think that... I completely agree with all that. And I think the defensive performance is now creating more opportunities to win the ball in dangerous places and then take advantage of the mistakes that the other team is committing. And I think the way they're taking advantage of it is through very simple play. I mean, for example, this weekend on, I believe it was the second goal where Tobin Heath lures two players over to the corner and then plays a ball back from Megan Klingenberg who is wide open, about 20 yards from the byline. She's on the left flank, but then just plays a great cross to the far post for Christine Sinclair for a very easy goal. As that play is developing, you know that Christine Sinclair knows where to go. Lindsay Horan knows where to go. Anastar Nagoshevich can come in. And by the time Tobin has drawn all the attention and can play the ball back to Clean, Clean has all the time in the world to play the most basic of crosses in the world. And you also know that based on Mark Parsons' meticulous nature about this stuff, she knows exactly the type of cross that she wants to play at that point. She doesn't want to drive it near post. She wants to loft it far post. I think these are the type of things that you get when teams 
have had time together with st- the steady personnel, including some time in preseason, but also just have high expectations of what their performance should be. So I think this is why you're seeing just it looks so easy at times from Christine Sinclair to Caitlin Ford knows exactly where she's going to be going into that channel in the second half against Orlando. Playing that ball across, know exactly where Tobin Heath is supposed to be when the ball moves to that space. It's just familiarity and execution, and I think in that sense, I do wonder if this attack can be some attack that can average 2.4, 2.6 goals. I mean, three, three is lofty. Um, I mean, you're talking ending the year with 72 goals. I don't know, but can they be a team that can reliably score multiple goals in a game? Because then you're a team that even if you don't get back to that stingy Thorns defense that's allowing 0.8 point goals per game, you can win games by allowing a goal, two even sometimes. And you're not losing games necessarily just because you allowed that second goal. Jeffrey wants to talk about offense a little bit more. Well, maybe. Was this game a clash of offensive titans or two defenses taking the day off? I... I mean, I, I think that from on the Thorns side, at least, I, I definitely think that the Thorns have to be better defensively. I, I mean, you can't look at all four of Chicago's goals and say those were just good goals. I, I mean, clearly, uh, the second goal, I believe it was, Sonnet just gives the ball away. I mean, yeah. that's absolutely um, a, a big error uh, that, that the Thorns can't make. And I think it, they allowed Chicago to too easily get the ball in good spots and within the box and... and find good open opportunities. Yeah. Um, I think that from Chicago's side, thinking back to, to the goals that Thorne scored, I mean, yeah, maybe Chicago can do a little better defensively, but I also think, I, I mean, I am really excited about what we're seeing from the Thorns attack right now. And I, yeah. I think part of, part of the Thorns being able to score four goals in this game is just that their attack, um, and obviously Sam Kerr and, and, and Nagasato are, are very good players, mm-hmm. but I think the Thorns just have so many players in the attack that, yeah. are, that are playing well right now, whereas uh, Chicago may have the best attacker in the world, but they maybe have two uh, attackers that are, are really, really dangerous. Yeah, I think that um, you, know, you can't look at Chicago's third and fourth goals and think that every team in the league is capable of doing that. Yeah. I mean, third goal, the way that... Di Bernardo pings the ball in for Johnson, who pings it back to, um, I can't even remember who it was, pings it back to Ertz, who goes across to um, Vasconcelos. I mean, they have five one-touch passes in the span of like a second and a half. There aren't very many teams that can do that, but that also doesn't absolve the Thorns from letting them do that. And on the fourth goal, you know, the Thorns allow Sam Kerr to penetrate the penalty area they do a good job of surrounding here. A deflection goes to Yuki Nagasato, but Chicago still has to make that happen. And that's honestly not a play that even Carolina can pull off too often because Chicago has just a lot of really technical midfielders between Morgan Bryan, Vanessa DiBernardo, um, Daniel Colaprico, who can play those passes all the time. I mean, it's really, really admirable. And on the other side, I don't think Chicago was defending badly a lot of the time, but the way that they defend... I think the Thorns are particularly adept at attacking that right now. What I'm specifically talking about is that Chicago tends to play, play their line a little bit high. And I think it burned them a couple of times. I think other times some of their principles just worked against them a little bit. It's about, about when, when they're chasing players into certain areas or where they're allowing players into certain areas. Chicago and Portland have the type of talent you have to adjust your game for them. So does North Carolina. I mean, you can't just have your same defensive scheme all the time against North Carolina and expect to do well against them. you got to tailor your approach. So, Jeffrey, I think it's a – boy, I hate that we just talked for two minutes that came, it comes down to this. Jeffrey, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I think we already talked a little bit about whether we're seeing the same issues from 2018 uh, defensively versus um, 
why the Thor? I mean, we talked a little bit about the 2016, 2017 defensive form being good and, and maybe signs of 2018 defense showing in the Chicago game. I think we determine, you know, sample size um, is something we're going to have to see more of. Uh, but Tim asks, what's happening with Sonnet? I mean, that was the biggest error in the game. Um, he says, why all the mistakes? I think that is probably dating back to last year where this was uh, an issue for Sonnet at times. Uh, even before that, too. Uh, I mean, I'm, I think it's a logical question, but there's obviously no answer to it. I mean, she's not ignorant to the mistakes. She's not, I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't asked her, but I would assume that no player is going, oh, okay, I'm just making the mistakes. I'm, that's fine. I'm going to live with that. And I doubt the coaches are the same. I mean, like, she's making mistakes. They need to stop. But I, I, don't, I don't know what the story is beyond that. I think the big question is how likely she is to stop these mistakes. Because at some point, you aren't a young player anymore. And you are what you are. You are what your tape is. You are what your numbers are. You are what your team is. So it's less a matter of what's happening with Sonnet than what decisions have to be made around it. Do you just deal with that? Do you, like we were talking about with the Timbers earlier this year, the adjustments you have to make are coming to coming to the realization that the players might just be what they are. And you have to change your approach based on the new reality of the players. Well, with Emily Sonnet, at what point do you change your approach based on the reality of her? Me personally, I don't change anything. The mistakes aren't frequent enough. They're bad when they happen. They're like Antonella mistakes times an Antonella. I mean, and you know she feels bad for it. Everybody has to. But I don't know what the alternative is. I mean, what do you think the alternative is? Yeah, I mean, the alternative is, I guess, taking Son out of the lineup or moving her to, to maybe midfield where, where the mistakes don't lead directly to goals quite as often. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's a possibility. I wouldn't. I mean, if, if the mistakes never go away, I wouldn't be shocked if that's something we see later in her career at some point. Yeah. Um, but I, I think she, I mean, she has a ton of talent. And when she's on her game, I mean, there's a reason why the two Emilys were for two years, essentially the best center back pairing in the NWSL. And I, I think that that was almost not debatable. I, I mean, the way the Thorns played with, with those two back there um, was tremendous. Uh, so we know what Sonnet's capable of when she's not making errors. We know that she makes errors and has made errors for a few years now uh, more regularly than you want to see. I, I think she's talked a lot about her mentality and trying to make sure she has the right mentality. I don't know how that necessarily factors in to some of these errors and, and um, whether that the mental side is uh, contributing. But yeah, I, I think for now she's, Mengas and Sonnet are the Thorn center backs um, when they're both healthy, and I don't expect that to change. But yeah, I mean, maybe maybe a move in position is something you see in the long term if, if it really becomes a problem and remains a problem. Yeah, Tim's question is really interesting because it's a, the natural question, what's happening, why? But there are also not questions that get us anywhere with this. So it's almost as if while we're watching these things, we kind of have to dig a little bit deeper and think about the implications. And like I was saying if you accept the reality of what is, is Emily Sana's future as a right back? Is it as a defensive midfielder? And if so, where does that fit with the, with the thorns? Because is she going to be a better right back than Emily Carpenter? Is that a future you want to bet on me? And probably not. I mean, maybe she could be, but Ellie Carpenter is six years younger than Emily Sonnet. Um, is she going to be a better midfielder than Celeste Bure? A lot of people would say yes. Yeah. I personally don't agree with that. I think Celeste Bure is, and we're seeing this over the first two games of the season, has developed into a very good midfielder in the NWSL. Uh, so while Sonic could get there, that's a pretty high bar at this point. I think there's a good likelihood that there's a future, and it could be a future within two or three months, 
where Emily Sauna is not the mistake-prone person that one thing that happened on Saturday hints at. But at this point, it's not just one thing that happened on Saturday. There's kind of a, a collection yeah. at this point. Moving on to not the next Saturday, next Sunday at 3 o'clock on Yahoo, the Thorns are going to be in New Jersey, Piscataway, to take on Sky Blue. Sky Blue, for the last couple of years, has been the worst team in the league. Last year, they barely got to the finish line with a victory. They are 0-2 to start the season. Uh, It's not like they've been blown out or anything, but they've yet to score a goal. They've had a penalty kick saved against them. Uh, And they're at the bottom of the table. Jamie, is anything less than three points for Portland in Piscataway a disappointment? I think that a loss would absolutely be a disappointment. I think a a draw would wouldn't feel you wouldn't feel that happy about it um i also think that the thorns have had a surprising amount of trouble in sky blue i I think i don't know that they necessarily write off sky blue but these these games somehow tend to be harder um than you expect going in i I think this is definitely a huge opportunity for the thorns to get three points against a team that they are better than period with their full team pretty much intact and being able to play in this game um, so I think this is a great opportunity for them to get three points. And I, I think, yeah, maybe it'll be a little bit of disappointment if they get anything less. But also, I, I don't want to look past this game because I've seen the Thorns have some trouble with Sky Blue in the past, especially playing on the road there. Yeah, for some reason, it's a particularly tough trip for the Thorns. Uh, it's one of their long, it's their second longest trip. Uh, it's not like it's a place that's right outside the airport. You fly and then you drive another hour to the place and uh, has been has been covered. It's a place that isn't, adorned with great facilities so you're playing on a college campus there at Rutgers um like you said just for some reason that we don't really know this game has always been tougher for the Thorns than it on paper it should be I think part of the reason for that is that despite what the standings say and I think this is a testament to the top teams in the league the talent gap between the top of the NWSL and the bottom of the NWSL is not as big as any other team, any other women's league in the world, and not as big as a lot of men's league. I mean, all these sky blue players are coming from off of successful college careers. They've got a couple of international players. They're all pretty good athletes. That's what we're good at in this country. We just churn out athletes out of our college system. So if you go there and in any way are fatigued from your travel or you're not focused or you just don't take them seriously, you're still dealing with players that can run you off the field maybe not pass you off the field, but they can run you <laughs> off the field. So I don't know how that fits into the Thorns narratives, but I'm, I'm never really surprised when I see Sky Blue give teams trouble. I'm a little surprised if I see a Chicago or Portland or North Carolina fall to Sky Blue, but I'm, I'm never surprised when it's a challenge because there are good pe- players for that team. Final game for the U.S. Women's National Team players, final game for Christine Sinclair before they go off to the World Cup. Jamie, I know you've been covering this story extensively. What, what's, what's the current status of the Thorns' morale after they're going to be losing these players? I'm just, I'm just putting it out. I mean, we already talked about it as it turned out, but I put it on, I put it on our sheet just so people are aware if they want mm. to see these people play. This is going to be the last oh, game. We don't have to talk more about it. But I, I'm, I'm almost looking forward to them going because it'll give us a chance to focus on the players. It'll, it'll prevent me from putting it on the. No, because <laughs> well, maybe it will. I don't know, but uh, it'll give us a chance to, in my mind, do what we should have been doing all along and talking more about the players that are going to replace them because I personally don't think we can have a conversation about the players that are leaving without discussing who's going to be replacing them not only on a team by team basis but how that replacement how those replacements compare to the replacements of the other team just because in any league it's what you're doing is relative to everybody else so 
I honestly don't know how good the Thorns are going to be compared to Chicago or any of the other teams that are out there. Uh, all I know is uh, the names that are on the depth chart right now. And it'll be interesting to start talking about, okay, do we think Tyler Lucy can step in and do this job? It'll yeah. be interesting. All right. Speaking of interesting, your favorite part of the show, <laughs> the Jamie Goldberg predictions hour that we cut down to about two minutes. <laughs> we're going to go chronologically again, which means we're starting Saturday, not Saturday night, Saturday noon, our time. You'll have plenty of time at night to deal with your feelings after <laughs> this one. Jamie Timbers at Toronto. What's the result? I, I think Toronto is a very good team. And I think I, I this oh, was this, actually this, one like an of, apology this was one of the games originally when I just looked at the schedule that I, I kind of wrote off as probably a tough one for the Timbers. Yeah. They did stay on the road, so it wasn't the flight that I was necessarily expecting. But even without Altidore, I am going to predict a 3-2 loss for the Timbers. I think that uh, Toronto is just going to be good offensively. But I also think the Timbers show that their attack is starting to come alive. So I, I, I think that they're going to find goals in this game. Interesting. I kind of, I mean, this is a counterfactual and it's pure speculation <laughs> at this point, but I kind of wonder what your prediction would be if the Timbers hadn't won last week. Because 3-2 kind of hints that you think the Timbers are a good team. I mean, a 3-2 road loss to a team that we think that is going to be a playoff team, that's a res- that's a respectable result. That's kind of saying that you think that the Timbers are are a good team at this point. The record's not good, but based on last week's performance, you have some faith in them. Uh I am going to go back to a couple of chestnuts with my predictions this week. And this one, I, I'm probably going to predict this every other week until it comes true. Diego Valeri, goal and assist. Now, for those of you that are loyal listeners to the show, one, thank you. Two, okay. Three, this is the same prediction I made before the San Jose game. <laughs> you, you have to call that out. <laughs> I am testing my power. Oh, I'm testing my power in the universe. I want this to both happen and the team not to lose 3 nothing. I mean, I'm not emotionally invested in if the team wins or loses, but I am kind of emotionally invested in these guys, you know, live, like living happy lives. <laughs> so if they lose 3-2, they can be proud of themselves at the effort. If they have another San Jose game, well, I guess I'll blame myself at this point. Yeah, I mean, if, if they have another San Jose game, I don't know if you can ever predict that again. <laughs> oh, oh, I think I could. <laughs> In fact, I don't think I'll go three weeks between that prediction. <laughs> it becomes Larry Gold assist every week if, oh, they, if that happens. Um, second game of the first division teams for the weekend, Thorns in Piscataway to face Sky Blue. Jamie, 2-1 home team win on this one, correct? No, I'm going to go with a 3-1 win for the Thorns. I think I wouldn't even be surprised if Sky Blue scores first, and this is a tough game in the beginning, but I think the Thorns are going to put it together one way or another, and, and they're going to start scoring goals. And so it's going to be a 3-1 win for the Thorns. If they play attacking-wise, like they have the previous two weeks of the season, yeah, I think that 3-1, 3-0, nothing could definitely happen. Uh, as is my prediction on this is something that I think I predicted 27 times last year, even though I think she only played 12 games, but I kept predicting that Anna Sionogorcevic would score a goal. I think the one time I didn't is when she scored at Houston and then she scored again <laughs> last weekend. And I just remembered, you know, for people that follow me on Twitter, you know that I'm willing to go the extra mile for Anna Sionogorcevic. Maybe at Nike one day I put up a shot that she can block and make, make a gift out of, you know. So I, I need something to, uh, to restore, to show my faith in her again. So I'm going to say that Switzerland's all-time leading international scorer is going to score a goal for the second straight week in the NWSL. Sino Gorcevic goal. All right. Totally think that's possible. So. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of talk for something not remarkable yeah. at all. 
All right. Uh, well, let's get to the fantasy update. Uh, okay, wait, wait, wait. Before we do this, no, no, no. Read it first, and then I'll ask my question. Okay. In third place, we have Beer City FC. That's Benjamin. In nice to see Beer place, City FC back. Yeah, Beer City FC is back in the top three. Uh, second place, Crowder's Mug Club United. That's Xavier. And first place, Wook score more goals, and that is Robert. Okay, so two questions. One, what happened to Real Jalisco? School? I guess bad week. I guess my pronunciation made him drop out of the top three. Well, I also noticed because we get the screenshot that gets sent to us. Thank you very much for doing that. And I noticed Real Jalisco was one of the people that didn't have a, a Portland Timbers icon next to the name. At the top of last week's standings, there was a Minnesota United team badge and a LAFC team badge. So I think you were actually pronouncing Real Jalisco's name correctly. In fact, you're probably I think it's Real Exlaxico until the badge changes. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't root for the Timbers, but we are a Timbers slash Thorns podcast, and that's a Timbers slash Thorns podcast league, and you're representing Minnesota hey, United I, I'm or pretty, I'm pretty happy to think that we have people that are representing other parts of the league wanting to listen to our Timbers and Thorns podcast. Oh, God, God damn it, you're right. <laughs> and secondly, did we find out what Wooks are? I think we did. Uh, you looked it up, which well, you and I had a very uncomfortable conversation after the show wondering if we are unintentionally playing into some kind of cultural illusion here that we don't want to bring to a family podcast. Well, I'm trying to look it up now because uh, Robert was so nice to respond to us and now I don't have it okay. in front of me. But, um, but Robert just confirmed what we, what we thought they were? Well, he said they were like uh, Wookiees. Like okay. from, oh, so it's not that. So when we talked about but, this last but the, 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 It's been sort of, I mean, the term's been used in okay. different ways, but that's sort of where it comes from. Okay, that makes sense. That's what I thought it was last week. And then we saw online that there was kind of like some kind of character class from some role-playing game that you and I just got cross-eyed looking at it. And then our imaginations went in the wrong place. So, Robert, you got a great name. We're all we're definitely Team Wook here. And uh, hopefully your luck continues into the next week of the season. Yeah, yeah, definitely moved up some spaces. Um, so we'll see how the fantasy goes next week, and we'll see how the Timbers and Thorns uh, do this weekend. Um, but for now, that's all from us. Uh, we're Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us every week on Oregon Live, Stumptown Footy, and Timbers.com, or you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And until next week, take care.